All right, welcome in. It's First and Ten, the podcast. I'm Matt Hayes on the Saturday Down South Podcast Network. It's championship week, everyone. That means Auburn and Georgia, the rematch. That means nine other championship games in college football and a whole lot of crazy that could happen this weekend. And the last week for everyone to make their case to play in the college football playoff. We got a fantastic show ahead for you. We're going to break down the college football playoff race. We're also going to bring out a special guest, my dear friend, Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. Tony's going to talk about the college football playoff. He's going to talk about all the craziness going on right now in the coaching carousel in the SEC, including what in the world is going on at Tennessee. Is Jimbo Fisher really going to take that Texas A&M job? And we also might get into a few others, like the Arkansas job, like Ole Miss hiring Matt Luke. And is that really just a bridge position for Luke to handle what's coming from the NCAA for a couple years and then Ole Miss later going and get the coach it really wants? We will, of course, break down the SEC championship game. Tony Barnhart has been around Georgia football, I'm guessing, for at least 30 to 40 years. He'll give us his unique perspective, not only on Georgia, but on Auburn and on the game itself. Just a a wonderful way to end the SEC season every year and a game that is usually a de facto play-in game for either the BCS or the college football playoff. But we got to pay some bills first. We want to talk about our good friends over at TicketCity.com. It's championship week, the last week of the regular season, everyone. If you haven't gone out and bought a ticket yet to one of those nine championship games or even a few of the other games or even Army-Navy next week, believe me, you got to head over to TicketCity.com, all right? Now, we've been working with TicketCity.com for a long time. They are the experts in college football, having served over 1.5 million customers. They're the place to go for SEC tickets and really any tickets for almost 30 years. Now, right now, they're offering $20 off to all Saturday Down South podcast listeners. All you need to do is go to TicketCity.com and enter the discount code SDS20. That's Sally Delta Sally 20 while checking out to save 20 bucks on your order. I mean, how good is that? So go to TicketCity.com, T-I-C-K-E-T-C-I-T-Y.com. That's TicketCity.com. And get your SEC ducats and really any ducats at this point, today. All right, it's my pleasure now to bring in one of my good friends, a true gentleman and scholar of college football, Tony Barnhart, Mr. CFB. You can find Tony's work, obviously, at the SEC Network. Tony also writes for the Media Guides, a group of four dudes that are no college football as well as anyone. That's the Media Guides, tmgcollegesports.com. Tony, welcome in. And Bubba, we got a big... Big weekend ahead of us, don't we? We do have a big weekend. You know, you and I have been doing this a long time. This is the best, I think, the best set of conference championship games, top to bottom, that we've had. Because all of them, you know, all of them, with the possible exception of the Pac-12 championship, are going to impact the playoff. And there's a lot of questions we got to get answered. And here's the thing. I'm, I've been thinking for the last three, four, five days, couple weeks, in some instances, you don't think Wisconsin's going to be ready for Ohio State? 
You don't think oh. Miami's going to be ready for Clemson and, and TCU's going to be ready for Oklahoma and Georgia's going to be ready for Auburn? Come on. All those games, we have no idea what's going on in those games, correct? That's, that's exactly right, particularly the, the Big 12 championship game. I, I pick Wisconsin. I, I just like the way they play. They play great defense. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is one of the best young running backs in the country, and they just find a way to win games. And Ohio State has shown us that they, you know, under pressure, sometimes they'll spit the bit. Okay, uh, look at what happened in Iowa. What was that all about? So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, yeah, there's a smooth, easy way that Saturday could go, Matt, but we all know that's not the way it's going to go. It ain't, it's never smooth and easy. Not only that, Tony, I, I think some of us secretly, the, the, the sadomasochists in our, in our heads, want complete destruction. I mean, I, I would love to see just complete chaos. Then, then what happens? Yeah, I'd say, listen, it's either going to be, what I wrote is it's either going to be nice and smooth and easy or it's going to be football Armageddon, okay? And then the pressure falls on the selection committee, and whatever they do, there's going to be a lot of people that don't like it. And it is, it is it's an incredible thing to watch. All right, so let's, let's go over these, the, the important championship games. Not that the other ones aren't important. Let's go over the ones that will have the impact on the college football playoff. We'll save the big dog in Atlanta in your hometown for last. Let's start out with the Big 12. What, 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 do, you, do you think TCU has enough on offense? And I know Kenny Hill's dealing with the concussion protocol. Um, do they have enough, do you think, to beat Oklahoma? Well, see, that's the key. Do they have enough on offense? And Kenny Hill has been up and down, you know, all year. And then Baker Mayfield, you know, he, <laughs> he, he is a little bit out there. But you know what? The guy's the best player in the country, and he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. So I think when all is said and done, TCU – I mean, I like Gary Patterson in big games. I really do. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma can just score too many points. All right, so I'm checking these off now, TB. You got OU winning that game. All right, so we're, yep. we're going to figure out the playoff after this, all right? All right, so let's go to yep. the ACC now. I absolutely love Clemson, have loved Clemson all year. I, I think defensively, the thing with Clemson now, Tony, they're a lot like Alabama has been for so long. When they need it, when they need to turn it on, they do it. And, and I think Kelly Bryant's starting to play well. I think he's starting to play a lot smarter than he did earlier in the year. And, and, I mean, they're tough. They're tough. But the reality is Miami, that turnover machine on defense, they get two, three turnovers, Tony, get some short fields for Malik Rozier. That, that game could be a second-half game, could it not? It could. It could. And you know what? If the game was being played anywhere else other than Charlotte, uh, I would give Miami a, a puncher's chance in this game because I, I like what Mark Rick's done, and they found ways to win. But Clemson is really athletic. Their defensive line may be the best in all of college football. Brent Venables has somehow put together another great defense. Uh, and, and when Kelly Bryant's healthy, Clemson is a very, very tough out. So with, with, the home, with really a home crowd in Charlotte only about two hours from their campus, uh, I, I like this to be a four-quarter game, but I like Clemson. Now, you know Mark Rick better than anyone. You've worked with him for, I don't know how many, two decades. So what does he do in this situation, in this game, where clearly he's not there yet as far as personnel-wise, but can he get that team? He's always been a, a fantastic motivator. Can he get that team ready to play above their level? Well, he, he, he absolutely can, and I think he's, got, he's gotten as much out of this team as any coach could. The key is what you just said earlier, the, the equalizer, in a game like this, is turnovers. Turnovers not only to get field position for your offense, but to stunt their opportunities where they get frustrated. So I think it all comes down uh, to Manny Diaz and that, and that defense. And can, 
they, if they can force three or more turnovers in this game, they can win. All right, let's move to the Big Ten. We got, of course, uh, Wisconsin and Ohio State, and I've, I've been saying now for the entire week, I think Wisconsin is going to end all this nonsense and beat Ohio State. And, and I think that would be a shock to a lot of people because a lot of people out there seem to think, Tony, that Ohio State's one of the three or four best teams. And I will give them this. They might be one of the three or four best talent-wise teams, but that is not a team that plays on that. You, you, you don't go out and play as well as they do in some weeks when the, way, when the way they beat Penn State and then follow it up by losing by 31 at Iowa and an average Iowa team. Yep. To me, there's, there's something going on there with that team. It just doesn't, doesn't seem right, right? No, I, I totally agree, and, and that's, why I'm, that's why I'm picking Wisconsin to win this game. They, I mean, Wisconsin is just solid. They're not flashy. You know, they run the ball with Jonathan Taylor. They play great defense, and they find ways to win games. You know, when they took care of Michigan the way they did uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know what, these, these guys are pretty darn good. So I think, you know, it, the crowd will be Ohio State and all that stuff. But I, I just – I like Wisconsin in this game. By field goal. It'll be close. I like Wisconsin by field goal. Let, let me tell you something, Bubba. By the way, Tony and I call each other Bubba because we're from the South and we're all crackers and we're proud of it. Let me tell you something. I went to Wisconsin uh, three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, and spent some time with, John, with Jonathan Taylor and some other guys on that team. Don't, let me tell you, Tony, they're a little bit tired about hearing about how they're not that good and they're unbeaten, but they good. haven't played anybody, and they're not as good as Ohio State. They've been dealing with this now. For five or six weeks, they've been choking this stuff down. That's going to be a team right. that's going to come out fired up and ready to play. Well, that's what makes these games fun, okay? Not only the, the winner most likely gets a chance to advance, but, you know, you, 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 you've been hearing all year that this is the best team in the league and nobody's talking about you, and that's what makes them interesting. All right, so you got chalk right now, TB. You know that, right? You got Oklahoma. You got Clemson. Yep. You got Wisconsin. You got chalk right now. Let's go to the last one, the big dog in Atlanta. First year in the new stadium. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. I'm really hoping that that atmosphere is a lot like the Georgia Dome because there's no place for a football game, especially a college football game like the Georgia Dome. So I'm hoping it matches it. So here we are now. Georgia clearly is better than the team they showed against Auburn the first go-around. What do they do to get Fromm in better situations where he's not staring at third and seven plus and he's got to make a play? Well, I spent the day in Athens on Monday and talked to Kirby Smart and talked to a bunch of people over there. Auburn's defensive line is so good, and Kirby uh, mentioned this to me. So you know what? Not many people, if anybody, is just going to simply line up and blow them off the ball. You've got to be – in this game, Georgia's got to be a lot more creative. They've got to work the edges better uh, to get some running going. I, you know, Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb were held to 48 yards on 20 carries last time. You know, the second and third Ooh. best rushers ever at Georgia. It was ridiculous. And, and so they've got to get more creative on the edges, and that's one thing that they're going to do. The other thing is is they have got to get some pressure on the quarterback because with everything else going on, Stidham, Jarrett Stidham has grown up before our eyes, and this guy is now a big-time quarterback, and he's got a bunch of really good receivers. This is, this is going to be a great atmosphere in the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I've been there for a couple of games. It's fun, and it's uh, – it, it's going to be close. So you got to give me a pick, man, because we're we're going each one now. Who do you think wins this game? I'm going to give I'm going to give it to Georgia in a slight edge. Now here's the thing, Matt. If Carryon Johnson is anything close to 100, percent I like Auburn in this game, but I don't think Carryon Johnson is there. I think he's going to give it the old college try, and he's going to give everything he's got. 
But when he's not at 100%, Auburn is a different team. So that's my one upset special for you, friend. I think I think Georgia not playing in Jordan-Hare has a chance to win this game. And I'm not so sure that's an upset anyway. And also, it also doesn't affect the college football playoff in the least. And, you know, the thing you no. were talking earlier about, about Sony and Nick Chubb, I thought Alabama gave up on the run way too soon in that game in the Iron Bowl. And I don't if you've got the line that they have and you've got those big horses back there, you've got to give it to them. And, and I think Georgia's got to be in the same situation. Georgia's got to say, this is what we do. We are running the ball. And I think they threw right. too much too early at Auburn. Well, and, and Alabama, remember the first drive of the second half? <laughs> they gave it to Bo Scarborough and they gave it to Damian Harrison. Boom, 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 boom. They got a touchdown. But you're right. They did, they did go away from it. And so it's you know Georgia's got to keep banging away. They got to keep running and keep running and keep running to hope to wear them down. But that uh, I, you know I talked to Kevin Steele and you know Kevin, this is probably as good a defense as he's ever had. So listen, so so your chalk outline then becomes likely Clemson one, Georgia two, Wisconsin three, Oklahoma four. So that's your chalk outline. Now let me let me throw this at you now. Okay, let's say Ohio State wins. All right. Yep. Let's say they win. It's not a blowout, but they win. So then you're the committee, and do you jump Ohio State, which is number eight right now, correct? Do you jump Ohio State from eight to four, and do you jump them over Alabama, taking into consideration all that you've done for Ohio State in the three previous years? And believe me, you cannot get away from that. I have heard people say, yeah, it's a new year, a new time. No, it's not, because they opened the door to that. You don't have to win your conference championship last year. So – are you then going to jump Ohio State over Alabama to keep two SEC teams from being in that in that college playoff? I mean, it's Tony, it's going to be very dicey when they announce those the, those four teams if Ohio State beats Alabama. What do you think happens? Or Ohio well, State beats Wisconsin, this, I should say. Yeah, this is what I've told everybody. I said, you know, they talk about last year when when Ohio State got in without winning the conference champion, Penn State, with two losses, got left out. I said, yeah, but let me tell you the big difference this year. The big difference this year is if you don't put Ohio State in, then you're going to put a second team from the Southeastern Conference in. And that, that nuclear explosion you heard was from Rosemont, Illinois, from Jim Delaney's office, okay? It will be the mother of all arguments at the end of the day. What I And I said this this morning to somebody. If I'm on the committee, Ohio State wins, and Alabama sitting there, I'm putting Alabama in. I think the committee will put Ohio State in. For so the reasons here's my you question. just explained. Yep. Right, right. Here's, here's my question then. Why, is it, why are we automatically assuming that it's Ohio State? What, what if USC blows Stanford's doors off? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you put USC in there? USC has a better yeah. resume, has better losses. Why, why wouldn't you put USC in there? I, no, absolutely. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to look at USC. You've got to look at USC. But they're sitting at what, 11, 10 or 11? Yeah. So <laughs> you can jump from 11 I, to 4? <laughs> here, here's the, here, Matt, here's the problem with USC and the thing that will ultimately keep them out. They didn't just lose to Notre Dame. They got their doors blown off by Notre Dame. You know? and, and that's my, my argument was the Ohio State loss at Iowa. To me, that would be the thing that would keep them out. I just think the committee – I just think the committee is going to put them in, and, and we're going to have a just a, a incredible argument on Sunday. So, so, so let me get this straight, and, I, and I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here, okay? So, so USC got its doors blown off by the number. What's it, Notre Dame right now? They're number ten, right? Number Something ten like team yep. in, in the poll, okay? So, so they get their doors blown off by Notre Dame. No, I think they're lower than that, but that doesn't matter. 
They get their doors blown up by Notre Dame. They lose in the last second to Washington State. Ohio State gets annihilated by Iowa, an average team. That's not even in the, they're not even in the poll right now, okay? And Ohio State loses at home to Oklahoma. I, I don't see that. I just don't, I don't see the, the situation where you're saying, yeah, that's a better resume than USC. I, I can't see it. Oh, and I know. And, you, and, you, and the thing about it is you can make a case for any of these teams. But I'm just telling you what I think the committee is going to do. I think the committee is going to – if if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, undefeated Wisconsin, I think they, they slip in. And the Alabama people are going to go absolutely Ooh. nuts. Ooh, Bubba, that – oh, my God. Oh, All right, that, real quick no, for I, I, <laughs> I floated that out last night, and on Twitter it was like – the Alabama folks were all over me for even raising the question. What do you mean? There's no, there's no debate, Barnhart. There's no debate. Are you kidding me? So I'm telling you. When it, all right, just, real quick. Remember that Barnhart quick. told you. Right. Real quick before we let you go. Okay. You, again, you know Jimbo Fisher. You've known him well for years now, okay? Tony, do you really think he's in a situation where he's thinking, yeah, I, I might do this. I might take that A&M job. Well, here's the question. He – he threw down the gauntlet to his president, all right? So the question is, can he, if he wants, if he really ends up wanting to stay at Florida State, can he walk that back, all right? Because the president didn't blink. I mean, Jimbo wants a $60 million building for his football team, and the president basically said, yeah, I don't know about that. We, we'll, we've got a process in place. So the question is, if Jimbo wants to stay, or is it time, after everything that he's been through, is it time to, to find find someplace new. That'll be interesting to me. You know, I've said it so many times. All these guys have egos, Tony, and they, and they all think they can do what they're doing at one place at another place, no matter what it is. And I'll tell you what, oh, yeah. a guy like that, a guy like that, Tony, at a place like A&M with all they have and the money they have, wow. I mean, that, that A&M could finally be that sleeping giant. They could finally awake that sleeping giant with him. That, there's, there's no doubt. They, listen, I was, I was there in the spring, and they took me – on the tour of all their facilities, oh my word, it's unbelievable what they've done. It's, they've only spent four. They've only spent four hundred fifty million dollars there in the last three years. So. <laughs> Just that half, half a billion, you know. What's what's half a billion here or there? All right, real quick. What what happens with Tennessee? Who do they get? You think? Uh, the word on the street now is they're going to go out and get Jeff Brom. Okay, there's been some conflicting reports whether or not the deal is done. Jimmy Himes reported that it's done, and Jimmy's pretty spot, spot on what happens in Tennessee. So after, after the ultimate incredible disaster that happened there on Sunday, if they could land Jeff Brom, that's a, that's a pretty good save. That's a, you know, uh, uh, that, that's a pretty good save, all, all things considered. Does the, does the Vols Twitter mob, are they okay with that? Are they happy with that, you think? I, I think because the guy is a proven head coach and he's done a good job, he was success, very successful. Western Kentucky, they said, okay, it ain't, hey, he's no John Gruden, but we can live with it. So, <laughs> Hey, Bub, it's great talking to you, man. I will see you Saturday at the game, all right? Take care, my friend. All right, take care. All right, that's my good friend Tony Barnhart, just a, an absolute treasure in the college football world. And throwing down that Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom to Tennessee? You happy about that, Vol fans? Jeff Brom, it's a long, long fall from John Gruden. I can tell you that right now. I think Jeff's a pretty good coach. Done some nice things at Purdue in year one. But if you go from John Gruden and then to offer Mike Gundy the third highest salary among all college football coaches, 
all the way down to Jeff Brom. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not so sure that the, the Vol Twitter crowd, the mob, the angry mob, is going to be too happy with that. You know, and here's the thing with that, the, the Vol Twitter mob. And again, I get it. You want who you want. You want Gruden. Not going to happen. You want Chris Peterson. No way it's going to happen. You want Bob Stoops. That's like number three of no way it's going to happen. And then it just doesn't work out for you. And all of a sudden, Greg Schiano comes along, and suddenly you don't want Greg Schiano, but it's not about him, the coach. Then it becomes about this contrived and convoluted issue of he may or may not have done this while he was at Penn State or saw this while he was at Penn State when there's absolutely zero corroborating evidence other than multi-layered hearsay, which works in all of, let me stress this again, all of zero courts in the United States. Multi-layered hearsay never, ever works, which is why the investigators at Penn State Never went after Greg Schiano. Yet, this was a big deal. This was the thing that the Tennessee mob hung its hat on because they didn't want Greg Schiano, the coach. They felt like, what the heck, we'll destroy this guy's character along the way. And to me, the issue with that entire situation of 48 hours, and fine, you don't want the guy, you don't think he's a good coach, great. Great. What you did, the collective you, in, in besmirching his his very livelihood, to me, the biggest issue there is if I'm someone, anyone that runs a company, manages a sports team, runs a computer store, that has a national public figure type persona on social media, I'm scared to death right now because the reality is the vocal minority on Twitter, because that's what they are. They're the vocal minority. And for some reason, For some reason, the big heavy hitters at universities are concerned about the vocal minority on Twitter. But when these guys get gassed up and they go after someone, this is a situation where they can control not only the narrative, but they can now control what happens. And that should be scary to anyone who runs a public company, a sports team, whatever you want to look at it. And you're making decisions that affect that public company, that sport team. And those on Twitter who don't agree with you, well, guess what? They're going to do everything they can to not only torpedo what you're doing, even at the extent of, you know what? This really isn't true about what's going on at Penn State, but you know what? We're going to float it even more just to get, why not? Let's get politicians involved. Because once politicians hear this, then, hey, then our case, our narrative becomes even stronger. It was gross. It was absolutely gross what the Vol Twitter mob did, okay? If you don't want the coach, you don't think he's a good coach, you don't think he can handle the uh, grind of the SEC, you don't think he can stand toe-to-toe with Nick Saban and not blink, great. Do that. Tweet about that. Go overboard on that. Light your Twitter pitchforks and get after it. Don't sit there and all of a sudden start to turn the narrative that this guy had any kind of connection with the Jerry Sandusky horrific crimes against humanity at Penn State. To me, that was absolutely disgusting. 
what happened. Tennessee, of course, isn't the only SEC school trying to hire a new coach. Two schools have hired new coaches. Florida hired Dan Mullen. Ole Miss elevated Matt Luke to the head coach after he served this season as interim coach. Both of those hires, a little bit, uh, a little bit interesting, but we'll circle back to that because I want to get into Jimbo Fisher and what's going on at Texas A&M. This situation, on the surface, if you're Texas A&M, and this seems to be the perfect time to lure Jimbo Fisher from Florida State. If you're at the point now where he's thinking about it and he's vacillating and he might just do it, you've got to do something, something to put it over the top. This is a once-in-a-lifetime once coach. This isn't Mike Sherman or Dennis Franchoni or Kevin Salmon. And no offense to those guys. You know, they tried. They did their best there. This is a guy that's won a national title. This is a guy who has proven he can recruit in a hotbed like the state of Florida, who has proven he can beat the two other major universities in the state of Florida for elite recruits, just like he'd have to do in Texas A&M, going up against Texas, going up against uh, Texas Tech, going up against TCU, going up against Oklahoma, coming in from the other state. He's going to have to prove he can beat those guys consistently to get elite recruits, to get Texas A&M to that level. He's proven it at Florida State. He's proven he can win championships. He's proven he can develop quarterbacks. You want a guy who can make that position relevant again at Texas A&M? Okay? This is what he's done at Florida State, Jimbo Fisher. He's developed first-round picks, first-round NFL picks, Christian Ponder, EJ Manuel, and Jameis Winston. And had DeAndre Francois not been injured this year, it'd have been four. He'd also would have been a first-round pick because he'd have left early and he'd have been picked in the first round. He's that good. But when you lose that type of talent, okay, when you lose that guy that's that good, and again, quarterback position, there is no more important position. I don't care if you're talking about midget football, high school football, college football, pros. There is no more important position than the quarterback spot. It affects everything you do on that team, not just offensively. Because if you're struggling at the quarterback spot, you're putting more pressure on your defense. And if your defense is staying on the field for more plays, especially in this era of let's get 70, 80, 90 plays in as as much as we can, as often as we can, your defense is going to struggle, which will put more pressure on your special teams, which will put more pressure on the offense if suddenly you're not moving the ball you turn the ball over, you're down 7 points, you're down 10 points, you're down 14, you got to score. Everything changes in the way you coach a team and the way the team reacts and the way the team handles adversity and the way they deal with things in the locker room. Everything changes. That's how a team who was as good as any other team in the nation on week one, and that's Florida State. Florida State, that week one team could beat any team in the country. That's how a team goes from that type of team to a team that had to add Louisiana Lafayette during championship week so they could get the six wins so they could go to a bowl game. Believe me, the quarterback spot is that important. And if you want to know why Texas A&M has struggled under Kevin Sumlin, because once Johnny Manziel left, once that once-in-a-lifetime quarterback left, what did they have? And again, they recruited five-star guys there, just couldn't develop them. Now you'll have a guy who has proven he can not only recruit the five-star guys, he can develop the hell out of them. So if I'm Texas A&M and Jimbo's vacillating right now, 
Do everything you possibly can do to get him there. And if that means more than just an $8 million a year salary, if that means you guarantee him that he gets 4 or $5 million a year salary pool for his assistance, if that means you give him an insurance policy or an insurance you know, proposal where he, if he stays 10 years, he gets $40 million, whatever you got to do, whatever you got to do, this is a program right now that has everything in place. They've spent half a billion dollars in the last five years on stadium and facilities. That campus, that football campus, is better than anything anywhere in college football and almost anything anywhere in the NFL. They are set up now to win. They are in the state of Texas where there's buku talent everywhere you look. If you're Texas A&M and you're that close to getting a guy like Jimbo Fisher, right now you've got to do everything you possibly can to get him. Because if you don't, it's going to be a long drop down to Chad Morris. Long drop. And I think Chad Morris is a really good coach. But if you start talking about Jimbo Fisher to Chad Morris, there's no comparison. Okay, and speaking of the state of Florida, I want to circle back to a couple of the hires made in the SEC, specifically the Florida Gators hiring Dan Mullen as the head coach, the former offensive coordinator. At Florida under Urban Meyer, he was, <laughs> whether you believe it or not, he was the fourth choice at Florida. Chip Kelly said no. Scott Frost said no. Mike Gundy said no. And Dan Mullen was the choice. And when this, this whole search began a month ago, a month and a half ago, I told you Dan Mullen was going to be the safe choice. He was going to be the fallback guy. He was going to be, if we can't get choice one or two, we're going to go with Dan Mullen. Who'd ever thought it'd be, we can't get one, two, or three, we're going to go with Dan Mullen. And, and I think Dan did some fantastic work at Mississippi State. But I also think if you delve a little bit deeper into what happened there at Mississippi State, you start to see that, all right, there's a little bit of a red flag. So Dan's career record at Mississippi State was 69-46. and 46, And you're thinking to yourself, wow, anybody that wins that, that amount of games at Mississippi State and again, this is no offense to Mississippi State. It's hard to recruit to Starkville, all right? And there's no history of success at Mississippi State. So what he did there was fantastic. You see that record, you say, wow, amazing. Then you start looking at, really, what Mississippi State feasted on. They played 33 games in his career against group of five teams or FCS teams. And they were 31-2 and two in those games. 31-2. and two. You take that number away from his career record at Mississippi State, and that career record shrinks to 38 and 44. And suddenly you're thinking, well, you know, maybe that's not that good. And again, the argument's going to be, well, it was Mississippi State. It's hard to get players there. And I, I get that. I understand that. But you're 30 and 34 against the SEC in his time there. 8 and 10 versus non-conference Power 5 opponents. Those are all undeniable facts. That's what they are. You are who you are. Clearly, there's some gray area in between, okay? Clearly, he can coach quarterbacks. Josh Harris at Bowling Green, Alex Smith at Utah, Chris Leak at Florida, Tim Tebow at Florida, Dak Prescott at Mississippi State, Nick Fitzgerald at Mississippi State. The guy knows quarterbacks. The question is, can he recruit? And I think that's going to be the key at Florida. Can he get dudes 
to that university. Because right now, and this is if Jimbo stays at Florida State, you're looking at Dan Mullen, who's going to be recruiting against two of the best recruiters ever in Jimbo Fisher and Mark Rick. You got to get players to Florida. It's about players. And I know everybody likes to talk about the coaches. And it's such a big deal to hire the right coach. And I agree with that. But you got to have players. And, and Dan Mullen's got to be a guy who can recruit those guys, can get those elite players. And even if Jimbo leaves, and if he does, I'm hearing that, that Willie Taggart at Oregon might be the first guy they look at him. You want to talk about a recruiter. Willie Taggart gets after it. Dan Mullen is going to have to recruit. He's going to have to prove that he can recruit to get Florida back to that elite level. Because when you really look at the Florida job, it essentially comes down to this, okay? Can you win in February? Can you recruit guys? Not only in the SEC, but against the two powerhouse programs in your own state. Can you develop those players? And can you win the games that matter? Jim McElwain whiffed on all three. Will Muschamp recruited at an elite level. Developed NFL players on defense, not on offense, and had trouble in big games, clearly. So that's where you're at with Mullen. If he hits those three things, he's going to be successful. He hits two or three, he might be out in three and a half years, depending on the two or three he hits. Okay, the other hire since last we spoke, Ole Miss elevated Matt Luke from interim coach to head coach. And, you know, I, I think it's great when you see guys who get their dream jobs, guys who played for their universities, who love their universities, you know, the guys who, who absolutely will stand tall with their universities no matter what. I love to see those guys get those type of jobs. And it was, it, was a, it was a fun thing to sit there and watch an emotional Matt Luke at his first press conference talking about how this job is so important to him. But, I mean, I truly believe this. I think Ole Miss wanted to get, to get a different coach, wanted to start fresh. But the reality is, there's not much out there. Considering what they're facing on the NCA, they're not going to get much. Who wants to walk into that situation? You're, you're looking at a program right now that it has been accused of 15 level one NCA violations. 15! Now, usually you think, all right, you know, two or three level one violations, that's a big deal. 15! And allegedly, they were supposed to hear about their NCA fate late November. Now, we might be going a little bit into December to see what happens. It, they're going to get some significant, significant sanctions. They've already pre-imposed the bowl ban this year. I think they're going to get one more year of a bowl ban. I think they're going to lose a lot of scholarships, and that's going to be a tough, tough row for Matt Luke over the next two or three years. And the reality is if you can do that, if you can elevate a guy who loves his school and will do anything for his school, if he can be your caretaker, if he can be your bridge coach, which you know, I truly believe is what this looks like, you know, then once you emerge from those sanctions, once you get back to 85 scholarships, once the stain of what happened is erased, then you go and find a guy that will come in that will take a six-year deal for $7 million a year and, and, and go from there. All right, it's picks time. Last week was a big rivalry week, the special week, so we had nine games, six and three, not bad. 43 and 26 for this season, just over 62%. Not a bad showing. I'm going to try and pump it up a little bit higher this week. And I'm not agreeing with Tony Barnard on a lot of these. I, Tony Barnard likes chalk in the big games, the four, the four big conference championship games. Let's start out right at the top Friday. Stanford 
two and a half against USC. I'm going with an upset in this one. I like the way Stanford's been playing of late. I know, I know it was ugly the first time around for these two. I'm up taking Stanford in the two and a half points. I'm taking Bryce Love to have a huge game, a huge game, and kind of give all the Heisman voters pause a little bit about, well, who am I going to vote for? And again, I have a vote, and I'm telling you right now, I'm leaning heavily to Baker Mayfield almost no matter what happens with Bryce Love. Because I think Baker Mayfield far and away has been the best player in college football this year. But there will be some voters out there if Bryce Love hangs 250-260 on USC and they beat USC, yeah, there will be a lot of Heisman voters that will start to double-think about what they want to do. I'm going to take Stanford two and a half points. I like the way they're playing. Uh, I'm still not, still not thrilled about USC's defense. We'll go there. Let's move to the Big 12 championship game now. Oklahoma TCU, first game, not that close. Oklahoma jumped out to a big lead. Kind of held off a little rally from, TC, from TCU. Oklahoma's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I just don't, when I look at TCU, I look at that offense, and Kenny Hill, he's so hit and miss. He, he makes very good plays. He makes very good plays in big games. He also makes just defining and drastically bad plays in big games. And you can't be in a championship game where every play matters, where every decision matters, and have that ability to make just awful plays like that. And I think that's going to be the problem. I think, I think Kenny Hill is going to make a couple critical turnovers, and that's how Oklahoma is going to win this game. I'm going to lay the five and a half. I'm going to take the Sooners to win again. All right, let's move to the ACC. We got Miami and Clemson. Clemson's a seven and a half point favorite. I like the way Kelly Bryant's been playing of late. It, the thing that's interesting to me with Kelly Bryant is you look at his season stats, you're not going to go, wow, look at Kelly Bryant. He's got 12 touchdowns and six interceptions. He's completing 66% of his passes. His yards per attempt's barely over seven. The numbers really aren't that good. He just does little things that make a difference for Clemson. When plays break down, he has the ability to scramble and run for yards. When plays break down, he has the ability to scramble, keep his eyes down the field, and make smart throws. That's why he's so good right now. I think that's why Clemson is so dangerous right now. Clearly, defensively, with that front seven, they're crazy good. But I, I, at this point, the way Clemson is playing on offense, the way they're, they're playing smart, they're playing fundamentally sound, they're running the ball well, and Bryant's not making mistakes. And they've got receivers that can win on the outside. And when you've got that, and you've got Bryant knows he's got guys on the outside that can win, he can make throws. They may not have to be perfect. He's not that type of guy like Deshaun Watson who's going to win a game with his arm. But he does so many other little things that put Clemson in position to win games. And it might not be as pretty as last year's Clemson team, but they're still winning. I'm going to lay the 7.5, take Clemson, and continue this idea that it's going to be chalk in these games. All right, let's, let's, let's wrap up some of the lower conference championship games before we return to the big dog Saturday in the new Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Fresno State's getting 10 points at Boise State in the Mountain West game. A rematch of last week's game, Fresno State won. I mean, why in the world would anybody? I don't care if it's at Boise State. Fresno won that game fairly easily last week, and they're getting 10 this week. I'm taking Fresno State in the 10. Lane Kiffin at FAU. They're giving 9.5 to North Texas. North Texas is not the same team 
They were earlier in the season when FAU blew them out. I'm still going to lay that nine and a half and take Kiffin and FAU and hear about Tennessee fans screaming, why didn't we get Lane Kiffin? You know that's going to happen. Akron's getting 17 and a half against Toledo. Former SEC coach Terry Bowden's done a nice job there at Akron. Uh, very little fanfare, clearly, because it's the MAC. But Terry's done a really nice job there. They're getting 17 and a half against Toledo. I'm taking any championship game. Somebody's going to give you 17 and a half points. Take it. Take it. Championship games are a completely different deal. Memphis getting seven and a half at UCF. A lot of talking going on right now by UCF. Their fans, their Twitter fan base, screaming and yelling about why they're not in it. To me, the more interesting aspect of this week with UCF is Scott Frost actually addressing the Nebraska situation when asked about it at his press conference earlier this week when he said, you know, well, well, I would hope that Nebraska would be looking at me. We're, und- we're undefeated. I'm from there. That's weird to me. It's weird to me that he's already basically saying, look, I want the, I want the Nebraska job. That's where I want to be when he still has the biggest game of the season to coach against Memphis. Memphis is given seven, getting seven and a half points, and I think Memphis is going to win it outright. I think they're winning outright. I'm taking Memphis. The seven and a half is going to help even more. All right, the big one in Atlanta. Georgia and Auburn, the rematch. And, and again, I said this with Tony Barnard earlier, and I truly believe this. Georgia did not play the way it's capable of playing in that game. I mean, Auburn had a fantastic game plan. Auburn dominated on the lines of scrimmage, which were where these games are won. There's no doubt about that. Jarrett Stidham played a fantastic game. They ran the ball well with on Johnson. Almost everything went right for Auburn. Meanwhile, Georgia couldn't do a thing. And their true freshman quarterback was constantly stuck in third and seven plus. Those, those dreaded third and make a play situations. And if you're a freshman quarterback and you're on the road for the first time at Auburn and you're playing a defense like that and you're seeing schemes and situations that you've never seen before, I mean, that, that's just absolutely a disaster waiting to happen. And that's exactly what happened. Ten times in that game, Jake Fromm faced third and seven plus. Two completions, six incompletions, two sacks. You want to know why Georgia lost that game? Not only couldn't they run the ball, but they put everything on Jake Fromm. It was strange to me in that game. That that game, Georgia started that game throwing the ball immediately. It's almost like Georgia was saying, oh, yeah? You don't think Jake Fromm can win the game? Well, we're going to show you he can win the game. And, And I think you start doing that, you get away from your mentality. Georgia's mentality is we're going to line up, we're going to stand toe-to-toe with you, and we're going to trade blows, and we are going to run the ball. And if you can stop us from running the ball, more power to you. And like I said earlier, I thought Alabama got away from that against Auburn. I don't know why you didn't just stick Bo Scarborough and Damian Harris back there and just hand off left, iso left, iso right, pitch left, pitch right, and just run the ball. Sometimes in these situations and games like this, you try to get too fancy. You try to outsmart the other guy. Just do what you do best. If for some reason Georgia comes out there and they run the ball and Auburn stops them on the first series, so what? Run the ball. That's what you do. It's your identity. It's what your players feed off. It's what they know. It's what you've been doing for 13 weeks. It's what they hear day after day in the locker room. It's who they are. Run the ball. So if you're Georgia, 
I'm fine with throwing the ball with Jake Fromm on first down to alleviate a little pressure. But you got to run the ball. You have to absolutely go out there and say, this is who we are. We are running the ball. And Auburn, if Kerryon Johnson isn't completely healthy, it's only going to take one shot to that shoulder to change everything. Only going to take one shot. So if I'm Georgia, I'm going into that game thinking, you know what? Who knows what's happening with Kerryon Johnson? So we got to keep this game close. We can't turn the ball over. We have to do what we do. We have to run the ball and shorten the game. And if something happens to Kerryon Johnson, that's advantage Georgia. Auburn's a two and a half point favorite in this game. And I'm going to lay those two and a half. I'm going to take Auburn because I think Jared Stidham is just playing just out of this world right now. And this is the Jared Stidham that everyone at Auburn thought they'd get when they landed, when they landed that prize, when he signed with Auburn over Florida and over Texas A&M. This was the guy they all thought they'd get. The guy who played almost three games at Baylor and just did an unbelievable job as a true freshman before he broke his ankle. A, a guy that clearly, you could see, has NFL potential, clearly is a guy who can carry a program. And he's done that now in the last three, four games for Auburn. I think Auburn's going to get a couple turnovers. Statham's going to play really well. He's going to make some key throws. And Auburn's going to find a way to win that game. And maybe with or without Carryon Johnson, they will find a way to win that game. So yeah, I'm going chalk on the four main championship games. I'm not seeing upsets. I'm just not. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Miami win. I'd love to see Ohio State win. Love to see TCU win. Because then what do you do? What do you do if you're the committee? At that point, there's no doubt there'll be two SEC teams in that, in that Final Four. No doubt about it. And if Auburn wins, and the craziness happens with those other games, then you've got the potential, the potential to see a rematch of Alabama-Auburn in, in the national championship game, which would just absolutely set everything sideways in the state of Alabama. And maybe, maybe do the same thing that happened back in 2011 when LSU and Alabama played in the BCS national championship game, and that started the entire process of we've got to go to a college football playoff. Maybe if two teams from the SEC get in this time, and we spoke about this about a month and a half ago when I first brought this up, Maybe that might be the impetus for the playoff head honchos to say, yeah, we might start thinking about going to eight teams, an eight-team playoff. But my week of chalk, my weekend of chalk, I should say, is going to end up with Clemson at number one, Auburn at number two. I think Wisconsin moves to number three. Unbeaten Wisconsin moves to number three with a win over Ohio State. And OU sticks at four, which means you will have Clemson playing Oklahoma in New Orleans. Clemson will get first dibs on where they want to play. They're going to, they're going to go to New Orleans. They're not going out to Pasadena. And then you'll have Auburn and Wisconsin in Pasadena. Those are two pretty good games. Two pretty good games. And if, if that's the four, I'm looking at Clemson and Auburn in the national championship game in Atlanta. Yep, it's a rematch, but you know what? It will not be the same Auburn team that gave up 11 sacks to Clemson in that close loss. Again, it won't be the same Clemson team either. Kelly Bryant's a different quarterback. That would be a fantastic national championship game. All right, we're going to wrap it up now. Great day talking SEC ball. I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, like it, whatever you got to do on social media to get the word out. All right, enjoy the games this weekend, everyone. 
We'll talk next week about some form of crazy in the college football playoffs.